This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today is episode number 507. The one you've all been waiting for, 507. Yes. I'm doing cool hand motions representing 507. Today, we have decided to do Hot Fudge, which we did many years ago as a bonus episode for subscribers only. Yeah, so this is our Pledge Drive episode for 2021. And that means if you're listening to this and you're already a subscriber, you're like, why are they doing Hot Fudge again? But if you're not yet a subscriber, you can go to spilledmilkpodcast.com slash donate, become a subscriber, and listen to the previous version of Hot Fudge. Yeah, you get to listen to twice the Hot Fudge. Yes. Okay, so this is this is a double fudge episode. This is a double fudge episode. It's super fudge. It is. Oh, what? A, wow, Matthew, that was ingenious. Where'd you come up with that name? Oh, I, I wrote this uh, series of books. And when I say series, I mean two books in mm-hmm. the 80s. Were those books from the 80s or 70s? Not sure. Yeah. Because the first one was Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. And I wrote, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. That's right. (laughs) Which is my legal name. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. (laughs) But only God knows that. Yes, it's true. Okay. All right. Shall we begin with a trip down memory lane? Let's do. And I'm going to kick this one off. So... Hot fudge. This is something that uh, <laughs> you sound like. You sound like you're giving ooh. like a like an extemporaneous speech in like a high school debate tournament. Hot fudge. What is it? It is. <laughs> I'm going to tell you three things about what you need to know about hot fudge. <laughs> okay. No, I remember my mom really liking hot fudge when I was a kid. It was never something we kept around the house. It was always something that she would get out in the world. And it was always like a really special thing for yeah. her to decide to get hot fudge. Cause this was also like the, the peak of my mom's dieting years. So this was a real, this was a real, this was like a real big deal. Cheat day treat. Yeah. Oh God, that's so annoying. <laughs> anyway, but um, I think that my first time having hot fudge, I might've been in college. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I did a lot of things. Is it, for the first time mm-hmm, in college. Me too. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I think it might have been at Fenton's Creamery in Oakland, California. All right. Which I've actually been to in the past year. Oh, wow. Is yeah. it still fudgy? 
I did not have hot fudge that time. Or wait, did I? Oh my God, I have like no memory for hot fudge. I think wow. that's what we're okay. learning here. But anyway, I think- what, what do you think you had when you revisited Fenton Screamery? So it was just this past May. We mm-hmm. drove to California to visit family and I definitely had a coffee cookie dream. Oh, that's a, is that, that's a flavor of ice cream? Yeah, that sounds Fenton's, great. It's coffee ice cream with Oreos in it. And I didn't remember this, but it, it turns out- But a out, swirl of dream. It turns out it, it also has <laughs> cookie dough in it, which is not okay. my favorite part. But anyway, yeah, so- um, but I think that when I was in college, when I was in college, I would occasionally like make a pilgrimage from the South Bay over mm-hmm. to the East Bay to go to Fenton's Creamery, and I would get coffee and to cookie play dream in a punk with band. hot fudge, and I liked it. All right, good. And, no, but then I remember going home once to Oklahoma during those college years and going to Borgs, also known as, also Brahms, known as Brahms, with my mom and getting their like turtle sundae, which was ice cream and like with caramel and with hot fudge. Oh, yes. And there was some sort of nut involved in it, probably pecans. And that I was like, wow, hot fudge, where have you been all my life? Yeah, no, it's it's really it. It definitely felt special when I was a kid, too. It was, it was also a favorite. Of, was it a cheat, of my mom. cheat day? It was not a cheat. Let's, for this for this episode, let's have five, episode 507 be the episode where we totally pivot and buy into diet culture Great. for the rest of the show. Great. I've been waiting for 506 um, episodes to do this. Yeah. OK, so. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so it was a favorite. My mom would make it, and also sometimes I would get it wow. like on a Sunday uh, when I was out. But like, like you my mom a- has always been a, a person who who makes great homemade desserts. Like it was my birthday recently. Happy birthday to me! Uh-huh. And uh, I went over to my parents, and my mom made uh, like thin, thin like sheet pan brownies that she served like in a in a glass with whipped cream. It was <gasps> so good. Wow! So did she like layer them? No, just kind of like whip some cream, put it in a glass, and and threw some brownie slices in there, and then you can kind of like break it up with your spoon how a little. You, it's really good. How do you think that would have been with some hot fudge? I think I think it would have been great, although. I I'm not a big brownie sundae fan, mm. and I feel like that would have veered really close to a brownie sundae, although there was no ice cream. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel you there. I think um, I, I feel like I just want it to be like broken up into two desserts that is kind of just too much altogether. It's interesting you say that your mom was a great dessert maker, because I think of my mom as a great dessert maker, too, and I don't know how to square that with her participation in diet culture in, in the 80s and 90s. I don't know. I mean, did... She still yeah, I don't know. she still made great desserts, but they were like a special occasion thing. We didn't sure. have dessert every night back then, which I definitely do now. Yeah, I don't think we did either. Yeah. Do you and have I, dessert every night now? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But usually usually it's just like a handful of chocolate chips, but it depends. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now it was as I mentioned, it was recently my birthday. Uh thank you. Thank you listeners for all the all the presents <laughs> you sent. Um and so I have like an incredible array of treats in the house right now. Chocolate malt sandwich cookies, ice cream, hot fudge, like assorted cookies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who made that hot fudge? Uh, that would have been uh, my friend. What's her name? Oh. Molly Wisenberg. pronounce it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was me. I yes. made you hot that was fudge. So, that was so delightful that you brought like pre- pre-measured ingredients for making the hot fudge like it was it was it was a great experience i'm so glad so okay but back to your mom so your mom would make hot fudge when you were a kid yeah 
Okay. Um, and I don't know what recipe she used. I forgot to ask before okay. the, before this episode. But like, just the fact of getting like a hot topping or or going to hot topic, but getting a hot topping for your cold ice cream felt felt a little dangerous. Right? I- I think I'm still getting my head around this concept, <laughs> which is as we. That's sh- right. It's a, it's a new thing for all of us. As we will learn in a minute, the idea of putting a hot topping on cold ice cream is like foundational to hot fudge. Yeah. And I feel like I'm still getting my head around it because why would you do that? It's it's so foundational that that was like part of the founding credo of the Fudge Foundation. An, an organization I just made up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so should we go down like Hot Fudge's memory lane? Uh, fudge itself has a memory? Well, this is what maybe we should start calling our like history part of the show. Oh, like, but we're, we're going to call it Hot Fudge memory lane every time, <laughs> every regardless time. of the topic? Okay, <laughs> okay. I, I'm in. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, so uh, according to Wikipedia... Well, let, let's start out by defining hot fudge. Okay. Okay. I, so, I have a feeling this isn't going to be as simple as, as it might appear on first glance. I'll let you be the judge. All right. Okay. I'll let you be the fudge judge. <laughs> judge <laughs> fudge. Oh, yeah. Okay. Call me Fudge Wapner. Um, <laughs> hot fudge sauce in the U.S. and Canada is a chocolate product often used as a topping for ice cream in a heated form, particularly sundaes and parfaits. Okay. The butter in a typical fudge, like candy fudge, is replaced with heavy cream, resulting in a thick, pourable chocolate sauce Mm -hmm. when it's hot that becomes more viscous as it cools. Sure. Commercial syrups uh, or commercial hot fudges are generally thinner and formulated to be usable at room temperature, which then kind of begs the question, is it still hot fudge? Yeah, I mean, sort of, I think. Yeah, Well, we'll talk about this, but I I have a couple... Couple of uh, observations. First of all, like I, I don't know if it, it's always been clear to me that hot fudge and chocolate syrup are different things. Mm. That I think like the 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 key difference is like hot fudge is higher higher in fat mm-hmm. and particularly in like uh, milk or butter fat, mm-hmm. um, such that it will solidify at room temperature, and that's like that's like key to its texture and like particularly like how the texture changes when it hits the ice cream. Yes. It's almost like a ganache. I mean, the way that it, it is totally it, a it ganache. It is a ganache, yeah. basically. It's a melted ganache. Okay, so let, let's let's talk about this some more. So, yeah. Matthew, do you remember the early days of being a food writer and going to IACP conferences? Yeah, although I think the only time I actually went to IACP was with you and Abby. Really? When we were we we did like a panel there. Oh, right? I thought you were doing all that stuff like before well, I was. I went to. Maybe I, no, you're right. I went to IACP when it was in Portland once. This is a great it's part of yeah, the show. Cool. Yeah. Well, so what I was going to say is, uh, this so, is this is a, a conference memory lane. Yeah, it's our so, new segment. So, I remember the name Nancy Baggett yeah. from my early IACP experiences. I mean, talk about a real like standard bearer of food writing Absolutely. when I first got into it. So, Nancy Baggett is the author of the All American Dessert Book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norman Colpass. That was another another. Uh, oh, really? Cookbook writer that yeah. Yeah, I, I, 
We, we talked about I had Norman Colpass's pasta pasta presto cookbook wow. when I was in college. Oh yes. Okay. Well, so Nancy Baggett also has a website called, I believe, kitchenlane.com. Okay. And uh, she has recipes there as well as sort of some history of desserts. Anyway, according to Nancy Baggett, it's a good bet that hot fudge sauces were basically failed attempts at making fudge, which makes sense, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, when um, we did our remember when we did our fudge episode? Because that was a hundred percent failed attempts at making fudge. Yeah. It was a disaster. I wish that I had thought of it that as just a hot fudge episode. But I don't think that's what it turned out as. I think it was just like shitty fudge. Yeah. Okay. So Nancy Baggett writes, fudge making, a traditional American activity. Now, note that phrase. (laughs) Okay. Hang on. Started catching on at several New England women's colleges in the late 19th century. Sometimes when the mixture wasn't cooked enough, it wouldn't set and had to be eaten with a spoon. By the 20th century, people began deliberately undercooking fudge so they could serve it warm over ice cream, often on banana split sundaes or other soda fountain treats. Couple of questions. So is she implying that like, just like from from like miles around, like as you approach like the Wellesley campus, there would just yes. be this aroma of, of fudge. Yeah, I saw a couple of other places online mention this idea that like fudge making was something that like women in New England women's colleges did. Okay. And I'm like, what, was was this some sort of something to keep them from getting pregnant? Like, <laughs> like let's keep them like no, but like let's keep them busy uh-huh. uh, making fudge or like. You know, is this like a version of if you eat graham crackers, you won't masturbate? If you make fudge, you won't get pregnant. I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. I'm trying to think, like, when I was in college, like, what what uh, like food preparation activity um, mm. were authorities recommending to to prevent us from from engaging in sexual intercourse? Mm. Um, what do you think it was? Let's see. Uh, maybe. Well, I mean, there's the frozen yogurt machine. We talked a lot about that. I think maybe yes. maybe the idea was like, but but like the like the swiveling of the frozen yogurt. I feel like like would it encourage would get, it would get the hip swiveling exactly. before you know it. Like you are just doing like the lambada or whatever that dance was. No, you know, like a, a lot, lot of people of like got pregnant while humpy, dispensing frozen humpy yogurt. Swirling. <laughs> yes, that's how the Lombada was invented. And uh, like it was, I mean, it was the forbidden dance because it was forbidden on college campuses yes, okay. because of yogurt. Yes, okay. Anyway, uh, Matthew, what do you think are other traditional American activities other before than I fudge that, making? I had another question, which is have you ever heard the phrase banana split Sundays before? Never. Okay. It's just a banana right, split. Okay. But, other traditional American activities. I mean, activities. so we've got fudge making. What else do we have? Fudge making. Um, fudge making, masturbating. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, like um, conspiracy theories. Oh, yes. Uh, dumping tea in, dumping into tea. bodies of water. That's another That's right. one. Long, long before that was, a, that was a, uh, a protest and a symbol of the American Revolution. It was just something, something people, people did for did fun. Something people did for fun. <laughs> like, instead of like a, a barbecue or a pig roast, it was like, come on by for a tea dump. Come on by for a tea dump. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we, you've, you've wondered when reading like uh, historical novels like Johnny Tremaine, like what are they talking about when they, when they get together for a tea dump? It's because... Americans, for for like uh, you know all of their uh, laudable attributes, are maybe not the smartest people, and huh. uh, they, <laughs> and I include myself. But they figured out how to make 
how to turn failed fudge into hot fudge. That's right. That was that was really the turning point. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, that suddenly at, at women's colleges in when was this? Uh, the, the, the late late 19th century. Yeah, there we go. Like that's that's when like Americans went from a, 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 a nation of people dumping tea into bodies of water because they didn't know how to brew tea <laughs> to like making a, the world's greatest ice cream top. Yes. Oh, OK. I'm wow. so I didn't know we were going to get such a history lesson. I didn't know either. We're not done. So (laughs) as I was reading this sort of history of fudge making at women's colleges in the U.S., I I kind of started to wonder how this jibes with the official history of the hot fudge Sunday, okay? Okay. Which is, uh, and I again found this on multiple websites online, which of course means it's true, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, the inventor of the hot fudge Sunday is said to be one Clarence Clifton Brown, who is the owner of C.C. Brown's Ice Cream shop in LA. Okay. Uh, in 1906, Clarence Clifton Brown apparently had the idea to create a topping that would slowly melt cold ice cream. All right. And he started out with um, he, molten steel. Yep. Then he moved on to magma. <laughs> Moving uh, on to magma. Uh, he experimented for two months before finally developing the right recipe. But then it was a big hit. His shop, I, I found his shop uh, ran until 1996. And, so and was he behind the counter that whole I'm time? I'm sure he was. They just propped his corpse up. <laughs> oh, they, they changed they changed the name to Weekend at Bernie's Ice Cream. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that movie. That so... I, I definitely did see it. It's very bad. Gosh, that is so like of our parents' era. Is it? Like, cause I what... feel like our parents were watching like Weekend you at Bernie's. You think our parents were watching Weekend at Bernie's? <laughs> or was that I dinner think, with Andre? Like my, my I think yes. My it's parents definitely saw my thing. dinner with Because like my parents would see like like you my, know smart like like, like dramatic grown up movies. Um I uh, think. The, uh, the, uh, the color purple, I think, was something my parents Absolutely. went to see. What what else? What else did our parents like? Go? I did. Fatal I did. Attraction. Fa- oh, I'm sure. The I'm whole sure. Erotic thriller genre. I asked my mom if she had seen the movie we just watched, Color of Night, with Bruce Willis, and she said she had not even heard of it, and so I, I had to recommend it. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so assuming that Clarence Clifton Brown was the one to come up with the. I don't get it. I don't know how these it's, two these two histories. It's one of, it's one of these things that's it's like it's too it it's too obvious and too like of a particular time for one person to deserve the credit for it. I think is this kind of like chocolate chip cookies? It's kind of like, well, no, I think chocolate chip cookies genuinely were Ruth Wakefield. Like I think that one is very well documented, but is okay. is like a rare exception to the rule. Like okay. ice cream cones, and we talk about it like. You know, that there was like one guy at the St. Louis World's Fair, but like there's definitely more to the story than that. Mm -hmm. I thought of another traditional American activity, whittling. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Like, you know, you just kind of sit on the porch with a knife. Do you think people in in other cultures don't whittle? Um, You know, you're you're right. There's there's probably like. I mean, it seems like it seems like cave people probably whittled. Well, first of all, like cave people, I think were mostly American. (laughs) And secondly, do they have wood in other countries? No. Okay. No. Trees are a a purely American invention. What about knives? No. Okay. Great. So, Matthew, I I feel like this is a good time to, to, uh, to talk about the pledge drive. Okay. Great. Yeah. Now that that we've alienated almost the entire world 
Uh, no, actually, because we also said Americans were dumb. So We are so, so confused. Yeah, all right. So I don't know if everybody knows this, but Spilled Milk is a listener-supported show. Yeah, and we do a pledge drive once a year in the mm-hmm. fall. We only bug you about this one week a year, and then we shut up about it mm-hmm. until next time. We've been doing this for almost 12 years. Well, we've been doing the show for almost 12 years. Yeah. We've been doing the pledge drive for maybe this is our eighth pledge drive. Something like that. Because for a while, you and I were just shoving money into the show and just watching it burn. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. We had a we had a, like a shoebox yeah. on the table with a with a slit cut in the top, yeah, uh, and a and a fire burning inside. Yeah, and then like the fire burning inside our hearts. And then we asked our listeners if they would share their fire. Yes, if they us. would let us stand next to their fire. Yes, and they um, and they did kindly. They, they did, and and we make this show now. And always, really, for our <laughs> listeners. And and we should clarify that that means we're not making it uh, for a corporate owner or a network. We are an independent comedy show. And we also don't make this show for our advertisers. Nope. The consistent person that we care about is you. Yes. We make the show with one person in mind and you are that person, whoever Ins- you are. Insert your name here. Ins- yeah. Insert your name here and insert your money into this flaming shoebox. <laughs> Anyway, we'll, we'll tell you how to get to our online flaming shoe box in just a minute. It's okay. com slash donate. But we'll say that many times. I mean, the, the show has changed a lot over the years. One thing that has become really important to us is to get some awesome guests on the show. Yeah. So in the past year, we've had Andrea Nguyen on to talk about pho. We had Michelle Zahner of Japanese Breakfast to talk about uh, Korean rice cakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got more awesome guests coming up and we pay our guests. Yeah. To- I don't know if our listeners know that, but we pay every guest who comes on the show. Yeah. And the only reason we are able to do that is thanks to your donations. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to do more of that. Yeah. And um, your donations also pay producer Abby's salary. And yeah. as we know, producer Abby is the real heart of this flaming shoebox. The power <laughs> the power behind the flaming throne. Yes. God, wait, the, the shoebox has turned into a throne. Because I sat on it accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> and now my butt's on fire. See, this is a smart show for smart people. Okay, so uh, what what we need you to know now is that we have three subscription levels. So the first one is called Little Limber Twig. So these subscription levels, for those of you who are new to the show, these are all named after types of apples. Except for the third one, which is named after a soybean. Yes, okay. So uh, our our first subscription level is the Little Limber Twig level. That's $5 a month. And what do they get? Yeah, first of all, we should be clear. These are are American dollars, but you can subscribe from anywhere in the world if you have a credit or debit card. Mm -hmm. Actually, in the U.S., if you have just a bank account. You don't even need a debt credit or debit card. Mm-hmm. You get bonus episodes and now more than ever. And mm-hmm. uh, so over the years, we've recorded 22 bonus episodes. They are like regular episodes of the show, but they have no ads. And they are usually on something kind of a weird topic. Like we did one like live from the Costco food court. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did one about teen slang. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? We did one that our children recorded. We did one that our children recorded called mm-hmm. Spilled Milk Junior. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you become a subscriber now, you get access to all of those back bonus episodes immediately. And starting this year, we're trying something new. We're going to do three bonus episodes per year, and they're going to come out on Valentine's Day, the 4th of July, and Halloween. Yes. Will the topics tie in with the holidays? Sort of. Right. So that means the next bonus episode will be coming out on October 31st, and it's going to be, as promised last year, Molly is going to teach me how to drive. So scary. Yes. Ooh. Uh, you also get a handwritten post 
postcard from us. Mm-hmm. And you get access to our email newsletter. So this, uh, the newsletter comes to your inbox along with each bonus episode. Uh, the newsletters are alternately written by me or Matthew with info about what we're up to, upcoming episodes, news about live shows, and whatever else is on our mind. And of course, it's very silly. Yeah. If that's not enough for you, you can become a Magnum Bonum sustaining member. That's with- right. $10 a month. Yep. And you get all of the above. The bonus episodes, the postcard, and the newsletter, plus tell them what they get. Ah, spilled milk merch, either a spilled milk t-shirt, tote bag, or mug, and these are not available anywhere else. Okay, but what if that's not enough? What if I am I'm determined to stuff this flaming shoebox with everything I've got? Yeah, okay, so you should probably join at the Glycine Max Sustaining Member level, and that's 20 bucks a month. Yep, and you for that you get all the stuff above the the bonus episodes, the postcard, the newsletter, the uh, the piece of swag, and you get the first year you sign up a hand picked snack box full of perfectly engineered food products, other delectables, non edible things we like, all selected by us personally and packed into boxes in my apartment, a.k.a. the Spilled Milk Studio. Mm-hmm. So go to spilledmilkpodcast.com slash donate to sign up right now at any of these three levels. And we want to say the same thing, actually, that we said last year. I mean, the, the times are weird lately, and times are really tough. So we recognize that there are a lot of causes that need your money more than we do. So please, even though we're doing this whole dumb pledge drive, don't make us the first on your list for donations. Yeah, and the offer that I made last year is also still good. If you are not in a position to donate this year at all, we totally get that. But if you love the show and want to get access to those bonus episodes, drop me an email, contact at spilledmilkpodcast.com, and uh, I'm not going to turn you away. Wow, Matthew, you're generous. if you love spilled milk, it's time to make it official. Yeah. You need to marry us. Uh, if you've never donated to a podcast before, let us tell you from experience, it feels great. Yeah. Every time you listen to the show, you get to say, I helped make that. Mm-hmm. Or more to the point, <laughs> those dipshits work for me. Yes. Yes. Uh, So, yeah. And also, if you want to upgrade your subscription, like let's say you're a little limber twig now, but you want to become a Magnum Bonum. Who wouldn't? I would. uh, Go to SpilledMilkPodcast.com slash donate and look for the section that reads, I want to upgrade my subscription. Yep. There's a link there. They'll let you take care of it in seconds. Yep. This year, as always, we are looking for 60, that's six zero, new Mm -hmm. or upgrading subscribers. So when you go to SpilledMilkPodcast.com slash donate, you'll see how close we are to our goal. And we we might even come up with something a little special that we will do if we hit our goal. Yeah, we'll I, wonder if, I wonder if it'll have flames. Uh, yeah, I think we'll probably set something on fire and take a video of it. That sounds so cool. <laughs> like, you know the the uh, cover of the Pink Floyd album, Wish You Were Here? No. <laughs> Where like one guy is on fire no. and is shaking hands with another guy who isn't on fire? We're going to recreate that, but it's going to be us. Oh, this sounds great. Okay, Probably so- using Photoshop because I'm afraid to be on fire. Oh. I, have a, I have a phobia about about being on fire. It's a weird thing to be scared Wait, of. I know. Hang on. We should mention that when we had our 10th anniversary, all our subscribers got an amazing postcard of that us. That is true. That was a really awesome photoshopped photo of the two of us. And, okay. and, and, and that alone would be a reason to have subscribed in the past. Yeah. If we do, if we do send a postcard where that's a parody of, of uh, Wish You Were Here, but uh, with us, it should be called Human Bananas Foster. Yes. Okay. Or Snap. Dragon. Or, yes, human snap dragon. <laughs> okay, so once again, that's spilledmilkpodcast.com slash donate. Thank you so much for sticking with us over the years. We could not and would not do the show without you.
Back to Fudge Town. I want to talk about Nancy Baggett again. So uh, it, I, I want to really get into talking about like making hot fudge. So Nancy Baggett says real hot fudge is different from ordinary chocolate sauce in that it's made like old fashioned fudge, like candy, right? So hot fudge sauce is basically a fudge that never sets. Okay, but like. Doesn't fudge the candy have like candy heated sugar in it? Yeah. So this is this is where things get a little tricky for me. So Nancy Baggett says that you take cream or milk, sugar and butter, and you slowly heat them, kind of boiling them down until they're slightly thickened and light caramel colored. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. And this boiling down process, she says, not only gives the sauce its great gooey texture, but also contributes that special fudgy taste to the chocolate. Interesting. Uh, I feel like we should try this like, I think we should maybe maybe we should do a, a hot fudge episode and actually like do some hot fudge experiments before recording that episode weird should we just turn the the, the recording off now <laughs> all right bye everybody yeah. see you for hot fudge three in 10 years okay but anyway so Matthew we acknowledge that we have not actually tried Nancy Baggett's recipe which no, seems like we have tried real hot fudge but I I've tried like a bunch of hot fudge recipes and I always come back to the same one which we'll get to. Okay. Well, so so what do you look for in hot fudge? So I think what this this is really helpful in like clarifying like my feelings. I'm glad we talked this out mm. because I think what I look for in hot fudge is a melted ganache, right? As opposed to as as opposed to something that has like like a, a caramel or or flavor and or candy candy texture. Yeah. Okay, like, that's a good point. So you're not looking for magic shell. I'm not looking for magic shell. I'm looking for like like pure rich chocolatey flavor and like, you know, chewy ganache texture. Yes, it is true that that um well so in just a second we'll talk about the one that that is your preferred hot fudge. Yeah. And it truly does, you know, when you put it on ice cream, it both it does this wonderful thing that is it begins to melt the ice cream yep. and it itself becomes slightly firmer. Yeah. But not hard or chewy. Yeah, so to me it's not just like the temperature differential of the mm-hmm. hot fudge that I that I enjoy although I do like that it's it's that chewiness it's it's what the the two temperatures do to each other sort yeah. of you know like a they they form they form like an interface is it would you call it a user interface I would call it a user interface like I think of of all the of all the desserts ice cream has one of the most approachable user interfaces <laughs> don't you yes <laughs> I was trying to, to figure out I think it's been through a lot of usability testing. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your favorite hot fudge sauce, uh, which is called Hot Fudge Sauce 2, posted by Aaron Nesbitt on allrecipes.com. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes. And I, I have to admit something that I just realized. I've never looked to see if, if Aaron Nesbitt has a hot fudge sauce 1. What if, what if hot fudge sauce 2 is like her second best? How did you choose this one? I think I just... Googled hot fudge, like when we were doing the original hot fudge bonus episode, I think I just Googled hot fudge recipes and I was like, okay, this one looks easy. Is it possible that this is the only hot fudge you've ever made? No. No? It's not possible because periodically I will see one that that I think, oh, this sounds good and I'll try it and it's never as good as Aaron Nesbitt's hot fudge sauce too. Okay, so let's talk about Aaron Nesbitt. So yeah, it I does- couldn't tell you like what has been different about other ones I've made. I think maybe some have had like some cocoa powder in them or corn syrup, or I don't know. So Nancy Baggett's, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, not only does this kind of boiling down of the the dairy and 
sugar before adding the chocolate, but it also has corn syrup. Yeah. On the other hand, Erin Nisbet's doesn't use corn syrup. It has you melt the chocolate first, then you add the cream, salt, sugar, and a small amount of butter. You just cook it to warm through, and then you add vanilla. It's like very fast. Yeah, it's it's literally a ganache. It is. Um, it truly is. Yeah, that's and that's what I want. That's that's kind of all I want out of life is just ganache access. Okay, and you like to eat it cold. How does it differ flavor wise from fudge, um, or does it just taste from, like, like ganache? fudge candy? Yeah, because I I'm not a big fan of fudge the candy. I always feel like it's too sweet. Okay, so like, I want a I want like a cold square of ganache. Have we have we talked about Royce Nama chocolate? No. Um, it's uh, it's a chocolate brand from Japan that is now becoming more available in the U.S. I think there's a store at Bellevue Square, east of Seattle. Their signature product is like a, a chocolate that you have to keep in the fridge because it is literally just squares of ganache that they're giving you permission to eat. And it's okay. fantastic. And this is also basically what, what you're eating when you go to the fridge and eat this particular hot fudge sauce. Yeah, it's sauce absolutely the same shit, the except you don't have to eat theirs with a spoon because they cut it into squares. Okay. Um, yeah, but I... Love the texture of hot fudge directly from the fridge. Can I have a taste of it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. While we're tasting this, I also want to say that I'm really curious to try Nancy Baggett's recipe compared to this one because I, I do think it's going to taste more like fudge the candy. It's also more fiddly. Like, you know, there's all that like getting the, getting the, um, I mean, I do like the idea of that caramelly flavor. I kind of wonder what it's going to bring. I do, too. I mean, the way it works is you you boil down that kind of caramelly stuff before adding the chocolate. Mm. Then you add hot water to thin it to your desired texture. Mm. And, of course, it also uses corn syrup. Do we – it sounds to me like you don't think that corn syrup really needs to be in hot fudge because you don't care if hot fudge gets harder as it cools. I want it to. I, I mean, I don't want it to get, like, so hard – that you can't spoon it, but like I, I want it to, to get to that chewy point. So so that I, when I'm like like mm. digging around in in my ice cream bowl, I'm getting like some frozen ice cream, some kind of melty ice cream, and some sort of hard and chewy mm. hot mm-hmm. fudge. That that's the best. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit perplexed by by this third hot fudge recipe that I found online. This one is by Reed Drummond mm-hmm. uh, of the Pioneer Woman fame. It's on foodnetwork.com. So hers doesn't use chocolate at all. It's two cups sugar, two cups cream, two cups cocoa, and well, one cup of butter. Well, a large amount. So why would you not use chocolate? Well, I mean, I guess melting chocolate is certainly more trouble than, than measuring cocoa powder. Or is it because cocoa powder always cocoa gets everywhere? Cocoa powder gets everywhere. Cocoa powder is such a pain. I, how much cocoa powder do you think we've inhaled into our lungs over the years? Oh, definitely like, I don't know, a, a pound. Do you think we have brown lung? I think I definitely have brown lung after the other day when I accidentally <laughs> blew the contents of a vacuum into my car instead of sucking it out. Like, do you, like, I'm trying to remember now. Again, this is something I should have asked my parents, although I think in this case they would have been like, what are you talking about? Like, when I was a kid, we had a vacuum cleaner. It was like a like an old school vacuum cleaner that had like a, like a separate, like, 
box that was the the uh, had the motor in it and then i mean i know they still make this kind of vacuum cleaner but i think like uprights are more common now Mm -hmm. Uh, but this was like the one with a separate box that you drag around and has a hose sticking out of it and it also had like an exhaust port like the exhaust port in star wars that they used to blow up the death star but uh, this one you could plug the hose into the exhaust port and make the vacuum blow air and I feel like we did this sometimes, but I don't know why. Were we, like, inflating something? Was this, like, a proto-leaf blower? Maybe it was a proto-leaf blower, but I don't think we were blowing, like, dragging our vacuum outside and blowing leaves. I think maybe we were, like, inflating a raft. I wonder if you guys had maybe just spilled some cocoa and you, like, I don't know, like... We're Rather than vacuum it up, we tried to blow it. it. <laughs> well, your mom was probably like, guys, uh, close your eyes. If we just turn this magical machine on, it will disappear. <laughs> okay. That's what I do when I clean the house. Yeah, no, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe, like, before someone came up with the idea of the vacuum cleaner, they thought, let's just, like, blow all our problems away. <laughs> I was going to make a dumb joke based on that, but there's I kept nothing. There's nothing head. funny about blowing your there's problems nothing. away. There's I don't nothing. know what you're talking about. So, Matthew, what do you do with hot fudge other than eat it cold from the fridge? Okay, so my favorite thing to do is put it on ice cream, and I feel pretty strongly that it doesn't go on chocolate ice cream because I feel like that just makes the chocolate ice cream taste non-chocolatey. Fair enough. And so I want it on, like, a good vanilla ice cream with a good texture or, like, a peanut butter ice cream or English toffee caramel. What about coffee ice cream? Yes, absolutely. Oh, my God. I think Trader coffee Joe's, ice cream is the number one thing to put hot fudge on. Trader Joe's coffee bean blast ice cream, I think, is the best coffee ice cream. And it is fantastic with hot fudge. Wow. I can't believe you didn't put it on the agenda here. I f- didn't think of it until uh, until you met. I think I kind of s- forgot coffee ice cream existed for a while. I'm here to remind you. Thank you. Um, There's always something there to remind me. Well, so I think that the bottom line here is we need to try Nancy Baggett's like more traditional method do. of we'll hot fudge. We'll be back for Hot Fudge 3. And I think that's gonna that episode is going to air in 2031. Yes, I can't wait. And in the meantime, we're going to be eating Aaron Nesbitt's Hot Fudge Sauce 2 from allrecipes.com. Like, if we keep doing this podcast long enough, eventually people are going to start writing articles about, like, it's weird that they're still doing this thing. I know. It's true. It, it already is weird that we're <laughs> yeah, still doing like, it. Like, how probably how people were writing articles about uh, uh, Clifton's, like, C.C. Brown's ice cream shop. Wait a minute. I have one last question yeah. about hot fudge. These recipes make a lot of hot fudge. I don't know how fast your family goes through hot fudge, but I I assume you're going to have to rewarm this in small quantities. Yes, that's a good to point. keep using it. What's your strategy here? Because you don't want to rewarm the entire batch, no, right? No, I will spoon some into a Pyrex bowl and microwave it like very carefully because it, you can definitely overheat it and and have it like split or just get like weirdly runny. Okay. So so microwave it to like like you would do with with melting chocolate, where where like you don't want to see it all melted before you stir like yeah, you want to, you want to like yeah, yeah. stir up those last little lumps and yeah. have a melt but I, I, I'm making this sound like it's a difficult process so you it's so not. you use like one of those like little little custard cups little and Pyrex custard cups let me tell you something else well I'm so glad you brought that up I'm like pointing my finger in a very aggressive way mm-hmm. you know what I like to do is I'll put some in the Pyrex bowl Pyrex dessert cup and and stir it melt it stir it up and then just scoop the ice cream right into there because you know what i think hot fudge under the ice cream sometimes is better than hot fudge on the ice cream i was gonna ask about this because you, then, then you get you, some in every spoonful well i was gonna ask if you then like wind up you know scraping the hot fudge out of that bowl 
on top of the onto the ice cream in a different bowl? It depends how many people I'm serving. If the answer is one and it's me, then no, I'll just put ice cream into that bowl. If it's multiple people, then I'll scoop the ice cream into other bowls. And, and you know, I think yeah. I'd probably do exactly the same thing. I just thought of something else that I want to mention, which is the the Dairy Queen peanut butter parfait. Okay, because like the way they apply the hot fudge to that sundae is perfect. They put some on the bottom, then they put in some ice cream, then they put in some more hot fudge, then they put in more ice cream, and then they put more hot fudge and uh, and on top. Oh, and, and like peanuts all and, the way and through. And this, also. I would think, really maximizes the interfacing. It of maximizes hot the interfacing, fudge yeah, and and ice cream, which is where all the magic happens. Yeah, it's like when when hot fudge and ice cream like rub together, mm-hmm. sparks fly, mm-hmm. and that's when women at women's colleges get pregnant. That's right. Yeah. So they, it didn't work. It the, didn't the whole, work the whole, at all. Uh, fudge thing. No, there was so much rubbing together of ice cream and hot fudge. No, uh, literally just... like the first, the first time, the first season this happened, it, literally everyone got pregnant. <laughs> and then it was a, a baby college. And that's, and that's what we called the baby boom. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've always wondered. Mm-hmm. Matthew, do we have any spilled mail today? Yeah. Let me put this hot fudge away and then I'll tell you. Okay. Today's spilled mail comes from listener Tana Shea, who says, hello from Oli, or more accurately, Tumwater. These Oli are both- is Olympia, Washington. Yes. Hello down there, Tana Shea. <laughs> hello down there. Uh, please talk about your beliefs on the idea that the water greatly influences the outcome or the taste of certain foods. I think this is normally associated with breads like New York bagels, San Francisco sourdough, etc. However, it makes more sense to me in terms of drinks rather than foods. After all, it's the water was the slogan for Olympia beer. In your opinion, when baking bread, does the water matter? Or is this a matter of taste? Is it actually chemistry? What other foods do you feel are made better by the water? I love this question. My opinion is that it doesn't matter. I have no opinion. Okay, because like, but this is this is a big question that people have written entire like long form articles. Yeah, about. and I think the conclusion is usually it doesn't matter, or like if it does, there are so many other factors that have greatly more influence on the flavor of foods that you're never going to notice. Why the wouldn't difference. the water matter though? Because the mineral composition of water varies dramatically from place to place. It, I think, it depends what you mean by dramatically. Hmm. Um, okay, so, it's always still water, though. <laughs> right. I mean, so so I think I think it's true that like that the water you use can have a big effect on the flavor of the tea or coffee you're making because those things are ninety nine percent water, right? But when you're when you're making a baked good where where uh, you know there are lots of other like flavors and textures yeah. involved and a lot of the water is going to evaporate. I, I think there is an extent to which like the softness or hardness of water, meaning like how how much of certain chemicals are dissolved, can have an effect on like the texture of dough. But it's going to be a tiny effect compared to how much water you're using. Mm-hmm. It also occurs to me that this this same, you know, we don't sit around discussing this when it comes to milk, for instance. Oh, that's interesting. Which we can all agree varies dramatically yeah. in like color, texture, depending on the fat content, flavor, depending yeah. on what the cows were eating, etc. We don't, I mean, I think we can all agree that the flavor and quality of milk will affect uh, like your custard. Yeah, it will affect my custard. Which is, again, sort of like what you were saying about beverages and water. Yeah, because custard is a beverage. Custard is 90% beverage. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> anyway, but... Um, 
Can we get shirts that say 90% beverage? But I don't think of, uh, like, the, for instance, the, the flavor or properties of two different whole milks affecting my cake or my pancakes. That's right, but 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 they definitely could. Yeah, but I think but we most, don't, most articles that have, like, tried to answer the question, like, are New York bagels better because of the water have come to the conclusion? No. Okay, great. But that does raise a question because when you said 90% beverage, that, that got me thinking, like, aren't we, like, as humans, 90% beverage? You know, this is where we get back to our old bit about the human sack. Oh, the human sack. So I was more wondering, like, if you could, like, juice, if you were to juice a human. Didn't, wasn't I asking you the other day what, what Bob Dylan meant by uh, something about going to school, but she only used get to get juiced, juiced in it? it? Yeah. Did, she, did they squeeze her and squeeze out some of the beverage? I think they squeezed it out some of the beverage of her. Yeah. Okay. Like, this, yeah, this is a thing people did in the 60s. Okay. All right. If you remember the juicing, you weren't really there. Have we adequately answered yeah, our I think listeners' we adequately answered question? That, like, we, we don't have an informed opinion on this, but we'll, we'll like, throw some, some ideas out there. Okay. Okay. This week, I'm doing Now But Wow. For, you know, for a comedy show, I love to bring a really funny now, but wow, (laughs) which I have not done this week. You. So this week, uh, I bring this one up because this is an article that recently came out in The New Yorker. Uh, It's uh, called The Thing About Homophobia. I read it. It's very good. Yeah. By Brian Washington, uh, who is also the author of the novel Memorial, the author of the short story collection Lot. Anyway, what I thought was really important about this, and it really got me thinking, was the quiet or perhaps not so quiet prevalence of homophobia in everyday life Mm -hmm. still even today. Sure. And the way that this has direct effects on the health of queer people Mm -hmm. and in particular the health of black queer people. So this is a really short article, which is part of of why I wanted to recommend it. It's a quick read. It's just an important reminder that this is um, a precarity in the lives of black queer people um, that we just we have not been forced to think about a lot lately with all that's been going on in the world. All right. The Thing About Homophobia by Brian Washington. Yes. And uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to become a member, donate, join the the spilled milk family. Mm, I don't know if they really want to join our family. <laughs> no. Why don't you jump in the flaming shoebox with us? Though it's sh- really warm in here. Yeah. No. Jump. The water's great. I mean, it's not in here, but the water's the water's <laughs> the, great for the water's bagels. great for making bagels. Yes, <laughs> okay. flaming bagels. Okay. Uh, you can uh, hang out with other people uh, who who are in or out of the shoebox at reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. Uh, it's our subreddit where people talk about the show. As always, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk podcast. Thank you, thank you for letting us stand next to your fires. Your 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 fiery hot fudges. Hashtag donate. Thank you for for allowing us uh, to to form an interface with you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, almost twelve years and counting. I'm Matthew Hamster Burton. I'm Molly Weisenberg. Do you think? Do you think uh, while we were all napping, a bear wandered in and looked around and thought about whether to eat us? It was such a well-behaved and quiet bear. Oh, yeah. Like, not not all bears, right? Not all bears. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Bears are people, too. That's true. Yeah. <laughs>
Dunkin' cold coffee can be brewed at home in your Keurig coffee maker with Dunkin' cold K-cup pods. Just brew it hot over ice and enjoy flavor that's crafted to serve cold. The home with Dunkin' is where you want to be.